Listen to that delightful theme song. Hello and welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast, episode 16. This is your home for fans with a brain of the Bears, Bengals, Browns, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and especially today, the Colts and Vikings. These last two teams are the subject of our deep dive training camp previews today, and we're recording on Tuesday, July 25th, 2023. But I'm Joe Smith, published sports broadcaster, coming to you live from the heart of the Great Lakes, Detroit, Michigan, where we like to open training camp with a side of existential terror, thanks to C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Here is my good friend and broadcast partner, Chicago's own Brian Rosenquist. Well, hello, Midwestlanders and friends. Um, I'm coming to you on a solemn note. I just got word that the Blackhawks owner, uh, Rocky Wirtz, died uh, at the oh, age of wow. 70. Uh, he uh, was the principal owner since 2007, which is kind of uh, interesting timing for me because I shunned the Blackhawks in the early 90s after they gave rid of uh, Roenick and Savard and all my favorite players. And um, I returned around 2007, 2008 when I was dating a girl from Vancouver, mostly just to troll her because the Canucks were known for choking all the time. And it got me in on the Blackhawks. And uh, it was fun watching them make the Final Four, where I believe they lost to the Detroit uh, Red Wings at that point, but eventually got it together. And they won uh, the first of their three Stanley Cups under uh, Rocky Wirtz's um ownership uh in 2010 literally while i was moving from seattle to charleston south carolina i stayed in chicago one extra day got to watch a white Sox beat down the uh tigers i believe it was like 15 to 1 or 14 to 3 and then they put game six on the uh uh on the big screen in comiskey park and uh, or the cell whatever they call it now it'll always be comiskey to me and uh got to watch uh the uh game winning uh the series clenching goal in uh, uh, overtime over the Philadelphia Flyers for the first of three. So that was cool. So Rocky uh, Wirtz, we miss you in Chicago. Thanks for uh, the three championships we brought back to you. And also we appreciate Chris Chelios in Detroit. But I'd also like to introduce our guest today and one of the oldest friends of the show. You know him as the composer of our intro and outro music, but this is just a small sample of what Raymond can do. He's here today to talk about his beloved Colts and also stick around for all the news and the Vikings coverage, too. Gentle listeners, I give you Raymond Chuang. Hello. It's great to be here with you guys. Very excited to be here. Let's talk about the Colts and the Vikings. Before we get to the football stuff, we've been using your music since uh, episode one here. I, the feedback we've gotten has told us that it is not what people expect for a football podcast the first time they hear it, but really quickly it grows on them and they really seem to like it. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> we are really happy to uh, have our own song, especially for us, that uh, you let us use. But we'd really like for you okay. to talk for uh, just a minute about your music and uh, where some of your inspiration comes from and what it means to you. Well, you know, inspiration... I haven't been in music my whole life and there's something to be well said but not just said about original music you know growing up you know we call class be trained and you put playing somebody's work or even something more can play in somebody's work unless you you know you you come with something you know yourself and and then I was got some from a minister connection of mine of some couple of things and an instrumental album back in, I'm on 2007. 
and uh, fueled it. And I thought about like, what would it look like? What would it sound like? And have it, you know, all original and, and then just journey through and with the process, like, okay, what do you, what do you name stuff? Cause I didn't want to have like some of the great composers where it's like, you know, something number one, two, three, four. I certainly did not want to like just track one, two, three, four. And actually a friend of mine, when I was living in Metro Detroit, helped me out. Like, and this, this can see stuff in the, in the unseen world a bit. It's like, what do you see? What do you think? And then that actually helped a ton. And, you know, the, you know, the song Charging Through the Rain, which is using the intro and intro for this podcast. And one of the only, probably one very high energy, fast tempo. Um, something, Jody, we talked about this in a, little, a little bit, you know, some time ago, like, pretty fitting. You know, it's closely fitting for a podcast of this of this theme. Well, we really appreciate the the journey you've gone on. Raymond for has been my friend a long time, and he's had this incredibly humble beginnings. The piano lessons, the small performances, the church playing, uh, but the guy can not just compose, which he's composed all of the songs on his album, and as well as. The, performed it and so what you're hearing is actually Raymond on the piano with his own written work and, and the guy's practically got a black belt in piano so I'm <laughs> so that's it first uh, one I probably heard of that <laughs> we're really uh we're really appreciative and uh please check out all of Raymond's music at uh his album is Call to Me and it can be found wherever digital music is sold on to the football stuff. Uh, before we get to our Colts and Vikings coverage, however, we do have quite a bit of news to cover. Training camps opened over the weekend, so the ramp up to the season is upon us. We've got players starting to get hurt or have major injury scares. Thank you, CJ Gardner Johnson. Um, we got players signing, we got players getting mega deals. But we've also got a team changing hands. The Washington Commanders have officially, finally, been sold. And there was great rejoicing. Yay. I know a few uh, Washington football team fans or commanders, whatever you want to call them, uh, they're pretty excited to have uh, anybody but Chainsaw Dan Snyder in uh, charge of the uh, Washington team. And uh, it's a pretty happy day. Who knows if they're going to be good or not, but this also means Ron Rivera, you're playing for your uh, job right now. You got a new ownership to impress. Ooh, good point. I hadn't thought of that. I just, I just, I couldn't see any of that. I just saw that the, there's a chance for the long nightmare of Washington football fans owners to be done. It's been just an unbelievable circus of mismanagement. Mm. Yeah, I will say, I don't know if you have a list of stuff, but I don't even know if we have time to go down it, but uh, so we won't, but I will say the thing not that our, made me de- they're not Midwest landers anyway. Yeah, that's true. The main thing that made me depressed a little bit is knowing that now that they have new ownership, new ownership tends to want to win now and sin with the coach and GM. So they're probably not going to trade Chase Young anymore and to save future cap space. They're probably going to at least ride him out till the end. So my hope for the bears getting a former Buckeye great at a pass place of need at defensive end is probably 
gone way down since the new ownership. So they're probably going to want to uh, make a big splash. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see what they do, but I'm happy for the people, DC, long-suffering fan base. Very underrated because they won those Super Bowls in the 80s, but they haven't done much since. They're kind of similar to Chicago and Dallas where we remember the good old days, but we choose not to remember the current times. <laughs> Which coincidentally was about the last major run that they had before the Dan Snyder ownership. Yep. I don't think that's coincidental. I don't think so either. So uh, on to the next story. It looks like uh, CJ Gardner-Johnson was carried off on a stretcher due to a non-contact knee injury the other day. But it sounds to me like they got MRIs back and it's not nearly as severe as I was worried about initially. I was worried when I see non-contact and cart season-ending injury. But what was the update on that, Joe, that you got? First of all, I think everybody in Detroit's heart went into their throat for just a moment there. Uh C.J. Gardner-Johnson, it looked at first blush, went down on a non-contact injury, clutching his uh, right knee in camp. What actually happened is he was actually contacted on the play. Uh, He got a glancing blow that they were able to see from a different camera angle. Mm He, uh, the cart is never good. Mm -hmm. And he was absolutely... And he absolutely uh, went out on the cart, went to the MRI, and there appeared to be no structural damage. It looks like he's fine. He's listed day to day. They're going to give it some time to recover. There's no reason for it to uh, rush him back for training camp or meaningless preseason games. So it basically comes down to can him, can CJ coming in, learn the defense quickly enough, which he's a good enough player that I'm not overly concerned. It's interesting because he is a jack of all trades type player, so it might need a little bit more, but he's also a veteran. So I think he'll be good picking up the playbook. And he, he, he came into the training camp late for uh, Philadelphia last year, and he still made a major impact on their way to the Super Bowl run. So I think he's a veteran. If it was more like, Brian Branch, the rookie, I'd be a little bit more concerned about him contributing right away. But because you have CJ Gardner Johnson, he can learn behind him. Yeah, fair. Well, it's just a little bit. Um, so the commander, I think Urban Magic is one of the owners. It's kind of interesting what that comes to mind. Magic Johnson's one of the part owners. That's cool. That is true. Yeah. They're immediately, by the way, going back to the commanders for a minute. They're immediately talking about changing the team name again. <laughs> they should just change the name to the Washington Name Changers and just leave it at that. Just <laughs> maybe change it every year. I don't know. Well, I've, it's pure rumor and speculation at this time, but I have heard Washington Magic in honor of their new, one of their new owners, but Magic. I'm not sure I'm buying it. Magic only makes sense in Disney World. And I have a hard time buying it myself, too. But Magic would work next to the Washington Wizards, I guess. But uh, that's true. Yeah, you got to see. I like the um, I like the idea that there was a episode of Forgettable, Unfor- Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, where they changed the name to the Washington Gun Takers to try to offend people into burning their jerseys to sell more. But maybe they'll do that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But uh, either way, in other news, uh, all the talk about the uh, running backs not getting paid. Saquon finally signs a contract. It looks like, do you have the details on it? Because it looks like it was 
slightly it was looks like it was basically his franchise tag but with an extra uh incentive that could pay him up to another two million dollars so he could get up to 12 million now if he uh, no that's marks. that's that's not correct what what i saw was and i have already posted this on our facebook feed for those of you that are looking for it uh saquon barkley has a one-year deal with it's got $10.1 million fully guaranteed of that. $2 million is up front as a signing bonus. The incentives are $909,000 total with, uh, with it, you know, in three parts. So $303,000 if he hits 1,300 rushing yards, another $303,000 if he scores 11 or more touchdowns and another $303,000 if he gets 65 receptions. So at most it could top out at uh, about $11 million. What I'm interested in most personally is whether there's any language in that about whether he can be franchised next year, because you can actually put that in a contract okay, but you can't franchise me. Or if you franchise me, it is this exorbitant poison pill. I will say people forget that the Le'Veon Bell holdout was his second straight franchise tag. He did not hold out in the first one. It was the second year. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. It's a good thing to look for because other than that, it's similar. What you described is pretty similar to what the franchise tag is, but with some additional incentives. It doesn't seem like it was worth saber rattling that much for potentially nine hundred thousand. An article I'm seeing on the NFL app that uh, Mike Garofalo, the NFL Network Insider, is added. There's no provision in the in his contract that prevents the Giants from franchise tar- tar- tagging him next year. Um, a second tag in 2024 would be worth a 120% increase on his 2023 salary. Would it, though? I mean, he never actually signed his salary cap, his his franchise tag. So can they tag him again? I mean, did this one even count? I don't know. It means to be seen. It means what it, whatever they put in when that put in, what they decided to do was not decided to do. Well, in any case, they're probably... <laughs> not going to make him too happy if they uh, sign him and if they do that again, in any case. Um, yeah, it's really basically a franchise tag with a couple extra incentives. I'm really surprised that he did not put his foot down and say, you cannot franchise me again, but maybe they're just kind of figuring it's possible. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're figuring that if he, that the, if the Giants can't franchise him, they'll just let him go, and then that's the end. Who knows? We've shown unbelievable unwillingness this year for anyone to sign any free agent running back for more than about $4 million. Well, while uh, Saquon Barkley strikes it big and gets basically what they offered him in the first place, uh, on the quarterback front, Justin Herbert becomes the third uh, record-breaking contract this offseason, topping uh, Lamar Jackson 
and uh, Jalen Hurts, who both broke the record uh, this offseason a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, um, which means uh, Cincinnati and Joe Burrow, you're on the clock, probably $260 million for a five-year contract for Burrow based on what I saw. I think it was like 250 260 255 or something like that. $262.5 million extension can reach $265 million with incentives. That is according to CBS Sports NFL insider Jonathan Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe Herbert's, uh, I believe uh, Lamar's was $260 million over five and uh, Hertz was 260 So that means he basically just won up uh, Lamar by quarter million per year. So we'll see what Joe Burrow does. That's the next one up. Herbert's extension includes nearly $219 million in guarantees. In his first uh, new money year of the deal, which is 2025, he'll receive $100 million. There is also a a total no-trade clause. I wonder how many running backs they could have signed for that. All of them. (laughs) And then some. be funny if Burrow just pivots and the guest goes, give me 240 and keep mixing around. <laughs> Probably not, but either way, congratulations on getting paid, Herbert. You are in a new highest paid quarterback slash player in the NFL, at least until the next quarterback contract comes up, because that's how it goes. Shall any strong thoughts on that, or is it just business as usual? Feels like business as usual after Hertz and yep. Lamar. Good quarterback comes up, becomes highest paid player in the history of professional football. I mean, I'd love to see. I think Mahomes is in danger of falling out of the top 10 already, and he just signed that half a billion dollar contract a few years ago, which is kind of funny. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It, it's interesting made. the deal. I think interesting that's saying negative with mm-hmm. Justin Herbert. That's something I'll, I'll touch on a little bit later when we talk about the Colts, mm-hmm. um, aspects of the Colts, particularly, I'm not going to name names for now, but like people who the coaches who developed them early on. I think that I think that's I would say at least for now, until I have more like everything depth width and height of this background of why he's getting you know he's offered this deal in the in, in the side. Let's give a little tease. Let's just say his old quarterback's coach is now the uh, Indianapolis Colts head coach. And we'll talk about that more when we get to the Colts season preview. So uh the I do think you're totally right, Brian. This all eyes now turn to Joe Burrow because we could have an A Rod contract moment mm-hmm. when Joe Burrow signs, where the whole world just stops and goes, "Whoa!" Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Burrow, he, in his first three years of his uh, career, he's been to the Super Bowl already in year two, and he's been to two AFC Championship games in the two seasons he was didn't blow out his knee. So he's probably going to be worth more money than uh, Herbert and Lamar and et cetera. Yeah. Because though, because he's had objectively more playoff success, more team success than any of those guys, except for Mahomes. Mm -hmm. It's, it could be, uh, we, we, it will really be landscape altering what Joe Burrow eventually gets paid. So I made the joke: if he only takes the same contract as the other guys, just to save a court or running back, 
I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's going to break the new record. Uh, so <laughs> not, don't be the richest player in history. Save a buck or two. Exactly. <laughs> so well, we, shall we move list. on to the pup list news? Yep, yep. There's been a couple players of significant note hitting the pup list. We're going to touch on, you know, a few here and there. Uh, starting with with the Bears, to the surprise of a few people, Chase Claypool already hit the pup list. That, that trade's looking great already. Turned into pick 32 overall. Good to, going back to Pittsburgh, turning into Joe Porter Jr. out of Penn State, I believe. And Claypool had like 10 catches last year and uh, 18 hamstring pulls. And uh, apparently he <laughs> was practicing with the players' fields and everything in Florida and then just showed up to camp with an injury and they put him on the pup list. So I guess, you know, going back to what we were talking about in previous episodes, that there's word that he is possibly a cut candidate for this year for the Bears already. Um, can't cut him if he's on injury reserve. Might be a way to uh, save his uh, save a season of money or something. I don't know. Just uh, Or maybe he's just injury prone. I don't know what the deal is with that, but it, it, that was a weird story. Yeah, Chase Claypool is doing everything wrong in the preseason here. Uh, he might have a career in Chicago like Antonio Brown did in Vegas, where he didn't even make it to week one. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be a problem. How about those Steelers receivers? <laughs> Biggest... Um, the biggest surprise in terms of names that people are expecting good things from this year on the pup list is probably Brees Hall, New York Jets. The the running back still isn't totally back from his knee injury last year. And it's I knew it wasn't as a totally clean break, but I didn't think it was going to be as bad as a Dobbins injury, who's also on the pup list, by the way. It probably isn't, but it's still bad enough that they're taking their time with him. So I'm not, this isn't surprising. It's a lot of precautionary because I think uh, when I was looking at, I'm looking up the doctor right now, but his uh, sports doctor was basically saying that at the time of his injury, he had a clean ACL break. So it's not as severe as JK Dobbins or Javante Williams, but it's not expected for him to be in uh, return to game fan game shape until week two or so and then there's usually like a four week ramp up period where you have a should be running at a um, uh, lower snap count than usual but there's also a very high risk of aggravating hamstrings etc in that time period so um, it's not expected from this doctor I'm looking up um, I think he works for PFF or uh, Fantasy Life and he um Basically said the time frame to expect him to be fully go would be about week seven. And this would uh this would be this would match that time frame for him to sit out a lot of it. And remember these preseason pup lists, they can be activated at any time. It's not like the regular season where you're out six weeks. That's the big one to avoid. Yeah. JK Dobbins is also on the pup list. I'm at this point, I'm starting to wonder if we will ever see the J.K. Dobbins that we saw pre-injury. Um, but Brees Hall, I'm not sure that this is the year you want to make him a high pick in an annual fantasy league. 
but it's not time to uh, signal the alarm bells on Brees Hall in terms of NFL football yet. We'll have to see what he looks like when he comes back from injury and probably give him some slack next year, too. And just to go with the uh, J.K. Dobbins pup list, it's probably not a coincidence that they signed Melvin Gordon to a $3 million contract for some uh, bench depth behind J.K. Dobbins and uh, Gus Edwards. Although at this point, I'm not sure what Melvin Gordon is good for other than a literal bench. I mean, at this point, we're talking about walking around with the cadaver of Melvin Gordon. And as good as he was when he was playing and in his prime, he's pretty much looking cooked right now. I guess this is par for the course for Baltimore. They love those over-the-hill running backs to see if they can squeeze just a couple more meaningless carries out of them until their knees bend both ways. But um, My thought is one of the only one of the very few good things for such the way the Ravens and you guys play in terms of like running backs that are toward the, the latter part of their careers. Like it's not like, you know, Melvin Gordon's never done anything. So at least there's some privileges um, to what impact positive impact for them. And then they're off in the running game. Well, it remains to be seen. Yeah. Well, as far as I'm concerned, you get a guy that that's that's that over the hill gives a whole new meaning to look at what we dug up somewhere. Rashad Bateman also on the pup list. Yeah, Rashad Bateman is starting to become a sad story because I really liked him coming out of Minnesota, but he seems to be one of those receivers who can't stay healthy. He seems to be tweaking stuff left and right a little bit underrated compared to like someone like Kadarius Tony, but he reminds me of fellow Ravens first round draft pick wide receiver, um, Brashad Perriman before him, where he had an injury marred a few first few seasons of his career and never really panned out in Baltimore and showed some flashes late in his career, still in the NFL. But um, I'm hoping for the best for Bateman because apparently this is the year they're going to actually let uh, Lamar Jackson cook, but hopefully Bateman can get on the field. As far as the skill positions, those are the big early, early camp pup list candidates. Some notable, a notable absence from the pup is Javante Williams, which really surprised both Brian and myself, because at this point I was starting to wonder if Javante Williams was going to have a peg leg by the time we were done here. But if they've got him off the pup list, you know, that tells me they expect him to be good to go in at least the first half of the season. Hey, and I want you to know, for everybody listening in the FFFL, he is uh, his stock fit went way up. He's available in trade, and Sean Payton's going to revolutionize that offense and turn him into Sean uh, Alvin Kamara 2.0 real quick. So I'm, I'm fielding offers. No, I'm just kidding. I actually forgot he was on my team until I saw the news, but I honestly uh, serious note, I, I honestly am shocked by this. Very shocked by this because he had a much more complicated knee injury than um, Brees Hall did. It was ACL plus, as they say in the doctor community and uh, or the medical Which basically means that his that he went knee first into a newspaper pulp machine. Pretty much. Yeah. And the same doctor, I couldn't find him on uh, Twitter. I'll find him on and, and post it on social media for the shout out because he's really good. He gives you the timelines for when they got injured and the typical timelines for when they can come back. It's really useful for your fantasy uh, stuff. 
And Javante Williams, he's a, he has a 15 month injury. So when you write, uh, go through that, it's not expected for him to really even be on the field until like November, I believe it is. Don't quote me on this. We got to, I'll have to look it up exactly. And then that's not even a hundred percent. So I honestly am shocked by this. He's on my fantasy stay away for this year, but look at him next year as a buy low potentially. But um, I might be From, wrong and I hope I'm wrong because he's a great talent. I loved him coming out of North Carolina. So if they're really, if, so he's either way far ahead of average on his uh, return or Denver is, well, weed is legal out there. Uh, put it that way or or he's uh nice i just realized it um or he is the next next coming of adrian peterson with the medical return very quickly and he is younger so younger people uh tend to recover faster but usually not months faster um i think it's more likely that he it's like remember jk dobbins last year came back got injured had another knee scope, cleaned it up again, came back again, limped his way through a bunch of games where he was still averaging like six yards per carry. But when you're watching him on his breakaways, he was galloping like a horse, you know, and I think that's more <laughs> like dragging one of leg behind him. Yeah. Exactly. Like we saw the highlights. Like if you saw the highlight and then looked at the box score, you were like, wait, how did he average six yards per carry? But I mean, testament to former Buckeye JK Jobbins being able to run for seven yards per carry on one car- on one leg. Notice how the tail's getting taller as the more I talk about J.K. Dobbins, but go Bucks, go Bucks. So I feel like, uh, but I don't know. I feel like Javante Williams, maybe he's worth stashing, but he's not worth drafting in my opinion. Just grab him later. I mean, I guess he'd be on the IR, so he could draft from, draft him and stash him. But from it'd an be NFL hard. perspective, maybe they, maybe they're thinking they can get, you know, a. Uh, a 10 play a game airback kind of roll out of them. I don't know. Mm, that's a good point. Maybe they haven't envisioned him as like uh, the, the scat back, the third down back, like a Darren Sproles type in a Sean Payton offense. And then they'll bring in someone else to be the heavy lifter the, while he's recovering or something or the Kamara. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the better scenario. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what's going through the minds of, you know, the, the, the wishful thinkers. Yeah. Well, speaking of one leg, uh, Naheem, Naheem Hines, former Colt uh, and the current uh, Buffalo Bill, blew out his knee in a jet skiing accident and is done for this season. That's this is Ouch. this is a tragic tale, yeah. Because it, in this backfield, it really looked like he had a legitimate opportunity to be potentially featured, and if not have the third down role, even though Josh Allen doesn't really do a lot with his dump off passes. They doesn't do a lot of third down. He's usually takes off himself or just chucks it downfield. But um, this is a lot of opportunity missed for Naheem Hines. And uh, it wouldn't su- surprise me if, if the bills come after some of this money, because this was not a football injury. Mm. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah, he might lose it. So uh, last year, I believe he was a midseason trade. And what was interesting about it was they used him more than just running back. Because we think of him as a third down back, which is what he's used in Indianapolis. But he was used a lot in two running back sets with James Cook, where they would put him out in the slot and James Cook at running back. And he, he, he 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 was used as a running back 
running back pass catcher, slot receiver, and they kind of use him as a little jack of all trades character. He was a pretty nice uh, addition to their offense last year, especially in a team where outside of Stefan Diggs, they don't have nearly the receiving depth as we thought they did going into last year because Gabriel Davis didn't pan out as well as he did. He didn't catch four touchdowns in every game like he did for uh, in the playoffs. <laughs> But uh, so there was a lot of uh, talk that Naheem Hines could be continuing to do that uh, X Joker role, X factor or whatever, you know, where he was getting a lot, lining up in the slot, although they may have drafted Dalton Kincaid for that. So maybe they'll be OK. But either way, I'm sorry to hear that for Hines for a season. It's definitely especially the kind of back that he is and reminds me of backs that um, like your Bears had over the years, um, like Matt Forte. Jeremy Langford. Love Matt Forte. Yeah. Those guys come to mind. You know, Naeem's got a, sim- a similar package that he brings to the table. It's never his experience, too. That's it's a big loss for the Bills. Um, means one less guy on the go to. Yeah. Naheem Hines is what you want in a third down back because he's really good in that third down back role, but he's also good enough. <laughs> lined up in the backfield that he's not clueless if you do run the football. Still a threat. Exactly. Keeps the defense honest. You're not so you're not totally telegraphing what you're planning on doing just based on the personnel you've got on the field. I think the Colts missed him. The Bills will definitely miss him. But speaking of the Colts, let's now get lined up to our main event for the evening or one of our double main events. And that's the Colts preview of their training camp and season. Raymond, this is your team. So we're going to start off by asking you about the big question with the Colts. And that is the quarterback carousel since Andrew Luck retired. Yeah. They had some veterans with uh, Philip Rivers and guys. Carson Wentz did not work out at all. And... Now they've got a very highly drafted, incredibly athletic young man. Let's start first with what are your early uh, perceptions and impressions of the rookie quarterback, uh, Anthony Richardson? Anthony Richardson is talented, you know, and athletic. And in contrast to, as a Colts fan, you know, going back to when Peyton was drafted in 98 and more – unpolished compared to him to Peyton and Andrew Luck. Um this is this was not a guy on my list. Um and going to this draft this year. I was really hoping that they will land Ohio State CJ Stroud, who was more you know, closer to long, that same um caliber and stratosphere of Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning. Why not Bryce Young? Bryce Talented I don't question like similar to CJ Stroud play forever, you know, one of the top programs in the country in Alabama, like it was Stroud, Ohio State. Um, my cons- one of my concerns with Bryce was his height. Uh, well, and when things come to mind in a game situation, especially when you're going up against defenses and they may be a little bit taller ends and tackles. Um, that's I'm not the biggest fan of quarterbacks having balls better down, especially if they're shorter. Um, it's a little harder to see, especially further down. Well, having seen pictures of Young at Carolina practice, he could end up being a really great quarterback if they scheme what they need to scheme to keep 
you know, defenses from crunching him like a paper cup at a company picnic. But it did look like make a wish day when he was out there in pads. It he he looked tiny. But let's get back to uh, it, go ahead. Oh, good transition was I remember at the combine the talking about CJ or Bryce Young on the st- podium and he just you see how tall and slender he was was a bigger concern of a lot of scouts. Then Stroud came out next to him and he was like six foot three, two hundred some twenty pounds. He dwarfed uh, Bryce Young. And then Anthony Richardson comes in and he makes Stroud look like a child himself because he's built like a defensive end. So what's your take on him? Can you a defensive end throw the footballs on the field like Dante Culpepper or you got a uh, or do you think he's just going to be a bit glorified running back with accuracy issues for a few years? I don't have a lot of opinion just yet. And so it's almost like, you know, from on my end, it's like a clean slate just about other than just my own opinions initially about Richardson. Um, the Colts are basically starting from square one, and not just at the quarterback, but also the coaching staff. Uh, Shane Steichen hired away f- from Philadelphia's defensive coordinator, who also you know, developed young quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. We, we mentioned, uh, talked a little bit about Justin Herbert. He, he was also developed... And, and for the Chargers by actually Shane himself. Quarterbacks so, coach, yeah. Um, I'm looking at Shane's track record and the things that he's able to accomplish with younger quarterbacks. I have hope. And it's not just Shane himself. And I was looking at like who Shane has on staff, especially the offensive, offensive side of the ball. Uh, Jim Bob Cooter, who's the offensive coordinator, Yes, a familiar name, not just in Colts circles, but also Detroit Lions. He actually was on the offensive staff under Jim Caldwell, both in Indianapolis and Detroit. Uh, and he's also worked with the Denver Broncos, having to coach Peyton Manning in both in Indianapolis and Denver, Matthew Stafford in Detroit. Um, those things come to mind. And then looking at also Cam Turner, who's the current quarterbacks coach newly hired, he's kind of a, a legacy coach in a way. Um, as his dad, uh, was Ron Turner, coach San Jose State in Illinois. Um, kind of remind me a little bit of like the Bullo family at Michigan State that runs multiple generations. So, like, football knowledge is very, very keen, very, very deep, or very wide. I think that's going to be very helpful. And then also, when it comes to developing young quarterbacks, uh, Cam Turner actually had coached Kyler Murray with the Cardinals. And it was also some years ago, uh, uh, coach got another name guy named Cam Cam Newton in Carolina. So that for starters, and you look at Cam and Jim Bob and Shane. Mm-hmm. Um, for starters, it gives me some optimism for somebody who I feel is not as polished yet as Anthony Richardson. Every reason to greatly grow, mature, and flourish um, as a as a quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. So I remember when uh, we did the draft preview, my take on Anthony Richardson was he fits a lot of the profiles of quarterback bus. It was like a short-term starter accuracy issues, et cetera. But we've seen a recent trend of NFL being better at developing those guys like Justin Herbert, like Jalen Hurts, who Shane Steichen coach, both of them like Josh Allen 
And I think that Shane Steichen and the coaching staff you went over is what gives me the most hope that they can bring him along. And especially when you look at Jalen Hurts in 2021 versus 2022, where they tried to pass heavy early on and it didn't work. So they switched to a run approach, which really helped Jalen Hurts and the offense unlock it. And it also bought Jalen Hurts an extra year to develop in the offseason. And then he became what was probably going to win the NF uh, MVP last year until he got injured the last couple of weeks of the season and Mahomes got it. But if the Colts can bring in Anthony Richardson, similar to the 2021 version of field uh, hurts this year, I think that would be really exciting to watch for the Colts fans. And, you know, they don't have the receivers that the Philadelphia has yet, but they didn't two years ago in Philadelphia. You can bring that in later. And so to me, that would give me hope as a Colts fan that he's he landed on the right team, in my opinion, that has the best chance to develop him. Anthony Richardson is bar none the most athletic quarterback that the NFL has ever seen, period. Mm -hmm. There is no debate. There is no discussion. It is true, Mm -hmm. which means that he can do things rushing the football and making plays with a combination of arm and leg strength that nobody in the history of the NFL can do. That being said, we still don't know if he could throw the football in the ocean if he was sitting in a rowboat. I would like to believe that he could, (laughs) most likely based on the coaching staff that he's got with that tremendous track record that Raymond highlighted. But he's still a question mark. And the thing that really got me is this team doesn't seem to be set up to be a run-heavy team and help him out. The offensive line is nice, but they keep trying to develop these pass blockers rather than just go headfirst into mauling people. Like Bernard Ryman and stuff, yeah. That's interesting as you highlight that, Joe. It's still because the Colts basically at at square one or quite significantly all around coaching staff, new quarterback um, and whatnot. There's going to, you know, the the first season of this, there's a lot of unknowns and that can work against you. It can also work for you. Especially um, when it comes to during the season, opponents can only have so much to scout. And so there's that part besides all the adjustments and adjustment curves, learning curves and whatnot of the team itself. Um, And with quarterback, um, you know, things I've read even just today, um, where it may not necessarily be Richardson's turn right away. You know, Minshew may, may be the go-to initially, with still with Richardson as still the future. All-time fl- great Florida man, Gardner Minshew. Yeah, He's so- down to an actual player from Florida. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. So, uh, Dude, Florida man, Florida man, doing the things that Florida can. <laughs> <laughs> What's he oh, like? Man. It's not important, Florida man. Love it. 
So I, I actually think that last year they their offensive line was dinged up, especially Quentin Nelson, who two years ago and the previous couple of years was the best guard in the league, possibly the best offensive lineman. And if he returns to form, I think he's going to bring the center and the, the tackle up with him and rise, raise the tides. And if he's blocking for Richardson and, and, and uh, Jonathan Taylor, I think they could run a pretty good run first play action game if they needed to and help develop some of those younger, younger raw tackles that, you know, Joe's talking about. And then don't forget, they got Jelani Woods and uh, Mo Ali Cox is the biggest tight end uh, duo in NFL history. They might be able to lean on a couple guys. So that could help them out. Um, I think that the big winner is uh, Alec Pierce because he's the big, uh, speed threat that I think might connect pretty well when they do play action fakes and want to push the ball down the field, assuming Richardson can throw the ball accurately down the field. So if it's a little bit like Chicago's offense last year, where it was a run, 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 throw it deep, he might actually get open on like the Bears receivers who were catching highlight catches from fields last year in traffic. One of the nice things about with quarterbacks coach Cam Turner for the Colts um, something I had not mentioned earlier, I mentioned, I mentioned now, is that he, Cam is one of the one of the people that kept coached that didn't just strictly coach like one position. In fact, uh, when he was in Carolina, part of the time he was there, he also coached wide receivers. Looking at his resume earlier today, um, that actually is good. I see it helping Richardson um, out, especially in the pro game and understanding what receivers do what they think and why mm-hmm. and then and can relate with in both positions even though his primary assignment is quarterbacks coach um and i think any kind of you know veteran insight from from gardner is going to be very very helpful too mm-hmm. so do you have any thoughts on the outgoing coach frank frank reich do you think he did a good job in indianapolis over the last few years or do you think they did him dirty on a uh, injury plagued off season where the quarterback carousel never really panned out that tanked him over his career. You know, to be honest with you, and I don't think it's not just the Colts, but I think any team, any franchise decisions are made and are not necessarily the most perfect decisions. They're not necessarily mm-hmm. the right decisions. Um, I think there could, I think I want to say there could be some of that um, quarterback carousel. I think could could be some of that. Um, I I felt a year ago, I felt that acquiring Matt Ryan was a good move, and parting ways with Carson Wentz. The one thing I want to go deep on, but at least want to at least touch on the passing by, is it was disappointing with Carson on one because. He had worked with Frank Reich in Philadelphia when Reich was defensive coordinator. Let's not forget, Frank Reich stuck his neck out for him saying, I can salvage this guy, trade for him, which apparently led to the owner or the GM or both being really mad at him, which may or may not have led to his falling out a year later. Okay. He actually apologized for that, which is shocking that they still were able to get a third rounder from him for Washington after that. It's a big deal for any, any leader, and especially a coach, to like, to like, oh, sorry guys, my bad. Mm-hmm. So, I, mean, I, I like I, that. I expect to see that with Frank, um, and the leadership style of Carson, from what I've read, 
was didn't quite go and didn't quite jive with the Colts. And Ryan's style was better, even though it didn't go well. But that His, was one of the first impressions I've heard. When I got the impression Ryan just at the was at the point of his career where just he just didn't have an arm left. He had he was mentally there, but he just didn't have it in him. Like you just got him a year late, which is unfortunate. I can see that. So I think there's that part, and you know, the coordinators, the turnover, you know, really really great ones don't necessarily stay long. Mm. You, know, you guys, you know, your Bears have one of them that's Everfluss. And then that's true. Philadelphia. defensive coordinator from Indianapolis, and he's done pretty well so far. I mean, the Bears were first overall pick, but schematically they were pretty good. We can talk about that next week in my Bears preview. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, so we wish Frank Reich well in Carolina, but not too well this year because the Bears have their first round pick. Before we get too far away, though, I wanted to ask you, Raymond. Jim Mersey absolutely looms large in the major decisions of the Colts. He is one of the more involved owners in the NFL, to put it diplomatically. We know that impatience cost Frank Reich last year. So because of what we know about how involved Ursay is, do you think Chris Ballard is on the hot seat if this team doesn't start rebounding soon? I'm erring on not necessarily because they, you know, right, the Colts just, you know, are on reset. And I think to put even a general manager on a hot seat when you just reset, drafted, you know, a rookie quarterback early in the, in the first round, whole new coaching staff, and it's going to take some patience and whatnot. So you're kind of you're starting anew. Kind of some things that when Chris came to India a few years ago didn't quite have. But they were had there were somewhere in I want to see what you know, like in Pacer Nation, that sticky middle. Where you're not terrible, but you're not great. You know, have just, you know, at that time they um Pagano moved on. The last that coach before Frank Reich. So I, I think I think Ballard did a great job with the roster because they made an AFC championship game before he was there, but it was with Andrew Luck and a yeah. pile of trash. And he filled out that roster really nice, but then Andrew Luck abruptly retired. And to me, that was a tragic what if moment was if Andrew Luck stuck around two more years, I think the Colts really could have been a AFC contender for that span. We can save that for a what if episode. Now, one last question on this. So since Joe brought up the ownership, would you like to see Ursay sell the Colts to Dan Snyder now that he's available? He's no longer the uh, Washington <laughs> owner. <laughs> I'm kidding. I wouldn't wish that on. I, no, <laughs> I, I think if, if, if Ursi were to sell to somebody, it, you know, someone I think that's going to keep in Indianapolis and, you know, and someone, not be a scandal like, a minute. Yeah, exactly. And and be and steady. I that's, you know, yes, he's in, he's he, you know, guys touched on it. At least when he gets touched on a part of, uh, you know, hands on. I think it reminds me a little bit of uh, Jerry Jones with the Dallas Cowboys, um, over the years. Mm-hmm. Very um, much I think so. There's certain things that, and much as I don't, I don't agree everything with Jim or say, 
mm-hmm. and there's a few the certain key things do come to mind um so it's with all this said the colts you know on a reset square one um i think the duty need jerk early on this year next year Probably I don't think we do them favors unless they're kind of hit the stride right perfectly. You know, those game of adjustments as they call it in life and the game itself. Um, so all that's to say with Chris Ballard in terms of his job, job security, um, I think there's a grace right now this year. I don't, I don't foresee him going anywhere. I mean, there's I don't if they were to part ways, um, I'll be honest with you, I'm not totally sure who they would go with. So speaking of uh guys that Ballard ac- uh, acquired in the offseason, uh we talked about Gardner Minshew. Um, but I think the big one well, there was Samson Ikubam from defense a defense end from San Francisco, San Francisco. But I think the real big one was they added Matt Gay kicker to a four-year $22.5 million contract. Now, I think the big takeaway, other than, you know, usually you add a kicker if you think you're a contender, is that I think running backs should learn how to play kicker on the side because they have an average how uh, the average kicker makes more than average running back is posted on social media. And uh, it is a sad state that it is true. And uh, in fact, Matt Gay probably makes about what Jonathan Taylor makes in on his uh, f- first uh, on his uh, rookie contract in the uh, high first rounder. But uh, I don't, do you have any strong thoughts on the gay signing or the uh, Ekobon signing or even Gardner Minshew? Well, again, with Gardner, you want someone who's had some experience, been around a little bit, in part to you know, the younger guys, in this case, Richardson. Um, every team needs one, regardless of who it is, where it is. Um, so there's that part there. Um, well, especially if you're worried about your rookie quarterback maybe not being ready for prime time yet and needing a season, which would not be a failure. Exactly. And now you've got somebody out there so that you don't have to throw Anthony Richardson to the wolves. Yeah, I think. Richardson, like any player, is teachability, come to work, dial in, those those fundamental things. Kind of don't expect everything to be handed to you. I think that's that's big one right there. Uh, he walks that out well. There's a pretty solid culture with the Coles in Indianapolis, and um, I don't think you know historically not had. You know, ego issues like we've seen in, in some and other teams. So that's, I think that's healthy also. Kickers, Matt Gay. Um, right now, it's, it's a, for me, the moment is kind of like the hello, my name is moment um, with him. Um, every kick, every team needs a great kicker. Um, does, yeah, it doesn't matter who, what, where. Um, that a great kicker and you you know covers some of those key odds and ends, especially it's not just the PAT kicks after touchdowns, but when when you just need three points, get points on the board on one scope during the game, and you need 
field goal to win it. When you don't need a touchdown to win it, that's a big deal. I've had favorite teams of mine over the years. It doesn't matter what level of competition. And you in a season when you're can you have a kicker that's not making the grade, not making the par. That's a difference of a few wins and a few losses. So I've I welcome this. Hopefully that makes a difference of at least a couple wins this uh, season for the Colts. I will say our next team preview for later this podcast is the Vikings, and no one uh, can tell you more about how painful a badge kicker can be in the wrong moment So uh, than the Vikings. <laughs> so they'll agree yeah. with you on that. Yeah, let's run through some of these offseason uh, roster changes pretty quick. Besides Richardson, which is, of course, the big one, the Colts drafted – notably cornerback Julius Brents, who they're hoping can start right away and speedy slot receiver, Josh Downs wide receiver, the acquisitions besides Matt Gay and Gardner Minshew, we talked about Samson Ebicom was kind of brought in to be the replacement for Yannick Ngakwe. Still unsigned. Still unsigned, but I don't know if he was insulting owners' mamas or something, but nobody seems to want him. Seems to be the best one on the market still. Yeah, I don't get it. Samson is also one of those hello, my name is moment for me as a Colts fan. There's a reason why they got someone like him. Um, You know, defensive help, defensive playmaking, especially on the edge. And the 49ers, you know, they are one of those teams as of, of, of the now in the NFL with some like you know, defensive reputation. And that that will bode in well uh for Colts defensively, and especially with Shane Steichen, their head coach, as well as their defensive coordinator, Gus Bradley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Colts are really hoping that Ebicom is gonna be a plug and play for Ngakwe, but the general consensus is that it's a significant step down. Uh, you're talking about a defense that's subtracted Stefan Gilmore, who wanted out, and the Colts decided to honor his trade request. He went to Dallas. Um, Paris Campbell finally stayed healthy last year, but still didn't do much, so off he went. I was one of the 18 slot receivers in the Giants team right now. We just right. said Beasley. Oh. So they must not be sold on him yet. So we've got a couple of interesting position uh, battles lined up here. Yeah. They really missed Shaquille Leonard last year, the outside linebacker that's been one of their big sack producers throughout the course of his career. Um, He was hurt last year off and on with a back injury, just didn't have an off year it and if he doesn't recover and is the back bothers him again it starts to look like it might be a chronic thing that could be a real problem yeah the i want to at least highlight the cornerback room for the colts please uh, touched on about was was stefan gilmore when to be traded and was and that request was honored um, it's some, something to note, not just for Colts fans, but fans of football like you guys too in general and football followers, is that the Colts have done a good job of scouting the cornerback position. And so I I feel like, and I believe 
they've done their homework on one. Two, I think they will see very more 360, as I would say, the picture of like what direction to go, who you know, who to go and who to draft. In this case, you know, draft the Julius Brents this this draft year this year. Um, so I'm not as concerned about the Colts when it comes to their corners and la- largely in light of that. Um, plus, with a veteran defensive coordinator, Gus Bradley, and whoever else they've got on the defensive side on their coaching staff, um, generally like really good coaches, they make the most of personnel and and find ways to kind of conceal the weaknesses of their personnel, you know, here, there, wherever. I just want to add that um, I really like the uh, value they got in the fifth round with the uh, South Carolina cornerback Darius Rush. A lot of draft Knicks thought he was the better of the two cornerbacks, and the other one went, I believe, in the second round. So that could be a really good value, especially when you're replacing uh, Stephon Gilmore and stuff. Yeah, Juju Brent, who's – sort of the uh, incumbent that they hope to promote plus Isaiah Rogers and Darius rush are all in that mix there for the number two cornerback job. That's probably the most, the toughest true camp battle that you're going to see for the Indianapolis Colts this year. But to get to the running backs, which we haven't directly issued yet, Jonathan Taylor is still, he was injured off and on last year. Didn't have the best year, but Before that, he was the leading rusher in the NFL. He's also the next major rusher that is lined up to get paid. If running backs ever get paid again. Is that makes Jonathan Taylor potentially the last great hope for the running back position. If he doesn't get paid, then what happens? Hard to say. But I can I think and also can maybe see why. You're maybe thinking and asking that. And, you know, he's probably one of the first tier running backs in the league presently. So I, I can definitely see validity in that. So if we're going from that standpoint, perhaps yes. Um, from a wider scope, I'm seeing I'm not quite at that point of. If Taylor being the last hope in terms of running backs getting paid. Let's focus out to the big picture then. The experts in Las Vegas have not exactly been too thrilled with the Colts this season. They've set the over-under at 6.5. So that means that if you are if you believe the Colts are gonna win seven games this year, then they are then you are ahead of where Vegas thinks they are. Uh, I'll say, so, I'll just straight up say this. Go ahead. Vegas is just doing their job. They may have some logic and rhyme and reason, but I personally don't have much of an opinion. I can go one way or another, but the thing is anything could happen. Anything could happen. It could be could be zero to two wins. It could be 10 wins. Um, well, they're in a weak enough division. I mean, like Joe, I mean, our high school football team 20 years ago, they were predicted to not do much and they won a state championship that year. Granted, it's a high school level, but still. <laughs> so are you, it sounds like you're kind of 
you're slamming the over on this one. Are you on if if I if you were a betting person, which I know you're not, are you going seven wins or more, or are you going six wins or fewer? It wouldn't surprise me if even go over. Uh, I'm gonna take the under, and I think that what a good scenario for them would be similar to what Chicago did this year, get the number one overall pick, flip it for, uh, with Anthony Richardson showing signs of uh, being the guy. And then they can tra- get a haul for uh, Caleb Williams or whoever, or Drake may, or whoever might be the number one quarterback in next year's class and really turbocharge the rebuild with a lot of extra capital and uh, make it a two year thing. Cause it is a weaker division, but I do think Tennessee with the addition of Hopkins and uh the addition of Ridley and uh, Jacksonville makes them better than we're giving them credit for. I don't think it's necessarily a slam on Indianapolis to pick, you know, six and 11 or under my opinion might be better overall. Cause they are a young team. What's your take Joe? I think that this team was absolutely decimated by injuries last year. They are in a weak division filled with young teams. And I really do feel like the, general manager and the ownership is going to put some pressure on this team early because they're going to feel, I think they're going to feel some impatience from Jim Irsay. So I'm going to guess uh, over, although there are ways that I will know very early if that's wrong. Like if they are playing significant Gardner Minshew, they're probably not getting to seven wins. If they are, um, not using Anthony Richardson's legs that's pr- very much and making him be the dynamic center of the universe, you know, Michael Vick style kind of passer, then this is going to be rough. So a lot of this is going to depend on how much Richardson can handle early. But I still think that with the offensive line coming back, with Shaquille Leonard coming back that this is a a case for an over. I still don't know that they're a playoff team, but I think they're over six and a half. Your nightmare scenario, you described the uh, Bears two years ago, which was so brutal when they wouldn't let Fields run and there was a lot of Andy Dalton early on. So I I really hope for Colts fans it's not like that. What I recall back in 2012, and that was Andrew Luck's rookie year, um, different than when Peyton came out of college in 98 is for, for, I don't know for how long, but for some time, quarterbacks, they get acclimated in based on the team's offense. By the time Andrew Luck came about, it flipped, where now his offense is more built around the quarterback. Let that sink in for a minute. Um, the contrast of then Peyton's rookie year and rookie year in relation to perhaps in some level now for Anthony Richardson. Another team that's in a strange place right now in terms of where they are on their rebuild curve is the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are coming off of a tremendously successful regular season, but a disappointing playoff exit and an off season filled with turnover. Brian, could you roll through the acquisitions? Now, a lot of these we've talked about on the podcast before you can find the clips on YouTube or in our archive uh, on our pages, wherever you download our podcast. So we're not going to go in too much detail here, but let's sum it up. 
So in at cornerback, Byron Murphy from Arizona, and they lost Patrick Peterson to uh, Pittsburgh. They added Marcus Davenport at uh, pass rusher from New Orleans, and they traded Zadarius Smith to Cleveland, and they lost off-injured, super-hyped-up fantasy Irv Smith at tight end and replaced him with Josh Oliver from Jacksonville, blocking tight end. In addition, they also lost Cameron Dantzler and Chandon Sullivan at cornerback, as well as Duke Shelley at uh, safety, and Eric Hendrick uh, at uh, linebacker. And um, the biggest names would be Dalvin Cook at running back and uh, Adam Thielen. So for a 13-4 and team that had a really disappointing end of their season, they are definitely treating the offseason as if they were a team in rebuild, not a team, not a 13-win team in a Super Bowl championship window. It was a bizarre offseason for that exact reason. Because their salary cap is obviously in shambles, and in a team for and for a team that won the division by I think four games last year, yeah, it was four. that they basically decided to take all of their all of their cap space issues and try and work it out in one year. And and along those lines of the spending, not only did they lose so many players. But one thing I found out after we did the uh, Green Bay last episode last week, Green Bay was 30th in cash spending this offseason out of 32 teams. Minnesota's 27. Chicago's 28. Apparently, Detroit's the only team trying to win this division in this offseason, which is really weird. I, I, it's understandable if you're Chicago or Green Bay, given their transitions, but it's weird when Minnesota won, the, like you said, won the division by four games. And I think this is an odd thing because this is the second year for Kwesi uh, at GM. And I think that he should have taken advantage of the opportunity to tear down the roster his first year when he had more leash. But instead, he didn't want to rock the boat and he kind of left everything status quo. And he accidentally won too many games to now do the teardown and rebuild that he wanted to in the first place. And it's a dangerous game for him because if he succeeds in tearing down the roster this year, they're going to lose a lot of games compared to what they did last year. And the fan base is going to have high expectations. And it's going to be a rough transition to justify tearing down a 13-win team to try to get back to an 11-win team in two years. And it is very odd. Um, but they still have Kirk Cousins. They still have Jefferson. They added TJ Hawkinson, so they're still going to have a semblance of a passing game. And I've talked greatly about I like their uh, running backs. Even without Cook, I think they're in pretty good shape. But they did they found some good running backs, yeah. Yeah, but they did not adjust the offensive line very well. I mean, they did get Darisaw. He's been really good at left tackle. He's been one of the best a couple of years ago. He's a first-rounder, I believe. And But they don't have a right tackle but maybe that's why they signed Josh Oliver to, play, to be a blocking tight end. I don't know. But their defense is probably the bigger thing, and I think that maybe they just want to be one of the best fantasy football teams because they will be in shootouts because their defense is bad and they will be forced to throw the ball a lot on boost Kirk Cousins' value or something. I don't know. you have any strong thoughts on, on the Vikings offseason as a whole, Raymond? Read some stuff today regarding the Vikings. And we talked about the Colts earlier. There's you know some unknowns and some mystery. I feel there's some of that also with this this year's Vikings team. Here's why. Um, I can't really underestimate or over uh, underemphasize or overemphasize 
importance of your coaching, your coaching staff, and looking who they have as coordinators on the offensive side, uh, Wes Phillips, uh, the solid one they've got, and then Brian Flores, who is the defensive Good coordinator they just got. So um, I said it earlier in this, in this episode, like, you know, you're good, good coaches. They'll find ways to maximize, to uh, execution and conceal the mistakes of, you know, the weaknesses of their players. I think it was a good point. I think Brian Flores at defensive coordinator is a really good underrated signing. He's had a lot of success where he's been in Miami. In fact, there's, a, you know, he won too many games in Miami, the head coach, apparently. Uh, he took over Matt Patricia in New England as the defensive coordinator and went from giving up 500,000 points to Nick Foles in the Super Bowl to holding uh, Jared Goff and the Rams to three the next year and winning the championship. And I think he has a good history of success, even despite all the turnover. He could keep that defense relevant, in my opinion. And I think that might help a lot, too. Um, He's been under some good coaches, too. Mm-hmm. That says a lot, you know. I mean, I think, you know, he. I, I sense Flores is a guy that is a guy that not just been around winning, but also knows how to win. Yeah. The next one, the biggest story that we kind of buried was a uh, rookie first round wide receiver Jordan Lambert, uh, Jordan Addison, going 140 miles an hour. Um, I can say, I'm not going to say how fast I've ever taken the fastest car, but I've never hit 140 myself, even in my younger reckless years. Uh, so props to you, Jordan, and I'm glad nobody got hurt. Um, apparently he was cited for speeding something to do with a dog emergency. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but as a dog owner, I get it. I say we clear the road for him if he's got to get to the vet. Right, Remmers? Right, Ray Ray? Good girls. <laughs> Those are my dogs, sorry. So apparently it was... Um, three o'clock in the morning and somebody called Addison wherever he was that one of his, that his dog was having an emergency back home and the dude just floored it in his Lamborghini SUV. <laughs> so he got to show the cops that his SUV does 140 and now we all know that but um, a lot of people are kind of backing off when it was like okay his dog was sick or whatever it was. So yeah, I mean, I Brian and I talked about this off the air, and we kind of felt like unless a pattern of reckless behavior emerges, that this was probably something out of nothing. And hearing that, you know, dog sick or injured dog was involved makes it me that makes me think mm -hmm. even more so this yes. is not There's a deal. Thursday at 3 p.m. rushing a dog to the vet is a little bit different than 3 a.m. on a Saturday too drunk to drive going 140 in my opinion. So the 180 better. degree difference. So, yeah. So should you do 140? Probably not, but keep it under 120. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you still got to get the dog to the vet. I hope, I hope the dog's okay. It's the same. If you take, you know, like your wife, daughter, son, you know, to the hospital. Yeah, Exactly. My, my wife is about to give birth. Let's go. Give me a police escort, you know? Yes. Dogs are as important as people these days yeah. for us crazy dog owners. <laughs> so on the next one, 
What's your take on uh, Kirk Cousins? So, I mean, he's in his last year of his deal. He signed a lot of back-to-back-to-back-to-back uh, to back to back fully guaranteed contracts. But do you think this is his last year in Minnesota, or do you think he is the guy that they're going to continue to go forward with? Honestly, I think that remains to be seen. They've had some coaching changes there. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have friends who are Viking fans, and there's mixed opinions about him as their quarterback. Very polarizing, yeah. And um, he's a base breaker. People without a quarterback would love to have a Kirk Cousins, but people with Kirk Cousins would wish they had someone better. He's not the worst. He's not the best. But he's serviceable. And he's someone, you know, I remember from his days when he played in Michigan State, you know, a genuine leader, um, was teachable, coachable. He, he was one of the go-to leaders with the Antonio and the staff, three-time captain. So you look at that part from his college days, all different bro. He does bring that leadership mantle and that command when he was with Washington and now Minnesota. I think um, something that I, I agree with Joe over time, you know, he needs a supporting cast around to be successful. That's actually the question I was about to ask you. How much of what's, I think Kirk Cousins has been remarkably consistent as a quarterback, uh, both with Minnesota and before that with Washington. But how much of the Vikings' success do you think is because of Kirk Cousins these last few years? And how much is despite Kirk Cousins? Primetime Kirk. <laughs> I think what was the, one of the Minnesota Kirkses we went over was like, Kirk Cousins hasn't beaten a team with a winning record or something like that. It was just it was something like if you lose to a Minnesota Vikings team led by Kirk Cousins, you will not make the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. So does he just beat up on bad teams or and then wilt when the pressure's good or is he good? I mean, it's it's a, he's a, he's a quite a Rorschach test because if you look at his numbers, you'd think hey, this guy's a top 10 quarterback every year. This guy's awesome. And then you talk to Vikings fans and they're like, get this bum out of here. It's overpaid bum. Can we, and um, I was, I was hoping you'd bring it up earlier, Joe, but I think you mentioned in past that uh, I believe it was the new GM Quazy. Uh, he said the quiet part out loud when he said he wished he had a quarterback on a rookie contract. So I think that there is a good chance that they let him play this out and then try to figure out how to get a new quarterback uh, in the draft in uh, 2024. Cousins is not – I wouldn't. I, I don't see him as a liability. It would very much depend deeply on what those are. But this is someone that – who would be a locker room asset as opposed to a locker room liability. Definitely not a diva. He's rock solid. Um this good is, things this is the on, guy you want your team. I've heard good things on the Netflix show quarterbacks from him to hook to your point. And uh, I think too, like when it comes to foot, football related on the field and stuff, um, he's going to need the protection. I saw something you talked about and might be something that you were talking about just touching on Brian just a minute ago. Um, especially the hit seat he's, he's taken. That right there is a big one. You don't when you're if you if a team makes an offensive line an afterthought position, I do think that there is some significant problems that you're asking for. As you know, I remember you know some of the Colts teams under Chuck Pagano, even a little bit you know in Peyton's day uh, when Polian was GM, and I was wondering that you know some of those things 
the line issues that were prevented. Talk about how that would, with the Colts, how that would have avoided Peyton being out the whole year in 2011. And Andrew Luck, you know, the hits that he taken, some of it's also his, his decisions, but I think it's also just not having much of a, a consistent line. So I think with Kirk Cousins, with the Vikings, having the fewer, whether it's Kirk Cousins or somebody else at quarterback, you have your offensive line protecting your guy, you know, where they're not, they're less likely of having hits and less taking hits. That goes a long way. Mm-hmm. I think that the Minnesota team organization wants to move on from Kirk Cousins. So I think that at a minimum to save his job, Kirk Cousins needs to make the NFC title game. And that might not be enough. Agreed. He is already a decade veteran. There's that factor too. He's not a young, young blood now. But that's it, true, especially if you've got an owner that's starting to get impatient. He is as far as you can get from the new hotness. Talking about the offensive line, do you think they did enough to address the offensive line in the right side, which was really, really bad, particularly the right guard and right tackle last year? I don't think they did. I think that they're building a fantasy football team as far as the offense is concerned. I think that they are building wide receivers first. They can't wait to change out the quarterback. They just dump their running back because they think they can promote from within. And they might be right there. Mm-hmm. But, oh, man. The I mean, the offensive line gets good grades from PFF. But if anything, they become even more pass block focused. So I don't know how pass heavy they intend to get. But it looks like they intend to get very pass heavy. Will Cousins survive it? I don't know. As long as their cut coach, the Vikings, that is, their head coach doesn't abandon the run. Well, he kind of lived Starters. to do that last year. So doesn't do any team favors, let alone the Vikings, too. You know, the balance you know, the balance attack. That's that's asking for trouble. Go one dimensional. That's I big. mean, to be fair, Kirk Cousins is usually at his best when the other team just when his coach, that is, just tells him. Forget it. Just sling it. Get out there. We whatever make stuff happen. That's when you usually see unbelievable gaudy number Kirk Cousins when he's yeah. playing with no pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned the PFF grades. I just want to point out their last year their center was a fifty four point three PFF grade and the right guard was fifty seven point one, which are terrible. In the sixties is not good. Seventies is okay. Um, I think Jordan Addison was a great pickup. But they they need to do something at some point to grab an upgrade in the interior on the line. And I don't know what they did. They did not try to get someone in free agency, not even a token veteran, you know. Maybe they'll get someone in camp cuts or something. But they did not seem to care, to your point, about building a fantasy team. And, you know, we'll see. It'll be interesting because I do think Addison's a good one. And I think he's going to be a fantasy darling. But we'll see how fast he starts if uh, Cousins can't get him the ball. Especially, you know, Hawkinson out there and uh, Jefferson out there. And they still got K.J. Osborne. He was pretty good last year. People forget that he was a solid receiver. To me, the big worrying part here is the defense, though. Mm. This defense with all those subtractions and impact subtractions, they look like they could be in line for a major step back and possibly a disaster. Brian Raymond, is this team's defense as bad as it looks? 
So we won't know that. Well, especially so, because of the new coordinator. So they they did lose a lot of talent, especially in the secondary. Um, but they are getting Lewis Seen, who was their first round rookie last year, who missed the entire season due to injury. He'll be back, but they they lost a lot of uh, depth, at, even at linebacker and defensive end. And there's rumors that they might be trading another defensive end and. Uh, it's it's going to be a rough year, and also I love Flores, but it is a complete scheme change. They're going from a three four to a four three, and that might help, but usually that takes a season to gel. I would agree. I'm glad you brought up Lewis Seen because I think he's involved in one of the the true camp battles. Um, mm. They are hoping that he comes back from that horrific injury that he had last year to win the starting safety job in camp it's possible that we're saying okay maybe he'll be there but he needs more time and they are hoping that he can come back and be the starter alongside harrison smith at safety but he will have to get past cam bynum and josh metellus who is probably the most serious camp battle this year and the one that bears watching the minnesota vikings fans and especially the gm adolfo mensa is hoping Lewis seen is ready to go and emerges because if we start seeing young players like seen and Addison and those guys stepping up, then that bodes well for the direction of the team as a whole. It could be a weird ball on the fly, especially if seen lives up to his draft billing along next to, you know, future hall of famer, Harrison Smith could be a good transition safety wise and good back ended. Uh, the one big concern is if things go South, there is the rumor, rumors that it's Daniil Hunter could be traded, which would suck because they've already given up on Zadaria Smith. But they did bring in Marcus Davenport, who is really good, but he's never played more than 400 snaps in a season. So he's got to stay healthy for the first time in his career, but he is on a one-year prove-it deal. So, you know, people tend to stay healthy when money's involved. Actually, so. Hunter's holding out right now. Oh, okay. Well, that might be... He, he might, showed up to camp oh. because he is under contract, Holden. but... But he is uh, looking for more money. His deal is about 16th among defensive ends right now, and he wants more than that. Mm. Right now, Minnesota is, I believe, in the top 10 of cash on hand. So they went from disaster to having all kinds of cap space if they wanted to do something. Mm. We'll see. Overall, though, it looks like the Vegas odds for Minnesota has a major step back at eight and a half and I'm going to go first and I am slamming the under on this. To me, this team, they went through drastic measures to get their cap back in one piece. So I think their defense is a shell of itself. I think the offensive line isn't going to be significantly better than it was last year when it was awful. You can't cover two awful spots, and they didn't bring in any anybody significant that's new. So what do they do here? The Minnesota Vikings overachieved unbelievably last year, winning going 11 and0 in one score games. That's never been done before in the history of professional football. Wow. I don't think they're going to do that again. Yeah, so probably not. 
<laughs> even if they normally one score games are coin flips that go 50 50 if though even if the the 50 50 is closer to the a benefit for the vikings five. then they go then that's five extra losses and now we're at an eight and nine team so if they are about as good as they were last year they're an eight win team I think they're worse. I'm slamming the under. Generally, you go because of like, you know, the whatever place schedule. I would think it'd be a harder schedule with the first place schedule this year. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have two extra games against first place teams than the other teams in the division. I don't know who they are, but. I don't either. Honestly, I kind of wish we did the Packers preview after this because listening to your take on the Vikings and why they're under might've pushed me into rethinking my under on the Packers last week. I think the Packers might be a better team than the Vikings are right now. And I think they have a seven and a half over under and I picked them to go under. So I got to think that I'm with Jujo. Um, I kind of wanted to make the boom case for them where they would uh, cousins throwing to Jefferson and uh, Hawkinson would keep them afloat. But just look at the defensive roster. Cause I mean, as good, great as Harrison Smith is, he is a uh, aging veteran at this point. He's not what he used to be even at safety. And I didn't recognize a lot of the lot names on that defensive front seven. When we were looking at the depth chart, other than, you know, the guy who was holding out that we talked about. So um and there's a lot of injury risk, like you said, with the offensive line and Marcus Davenport's never stayed healthy. So I I got to take the under myself too. Raymond? I'd probably say under by a little bit too. Wow. All in, all, we're all in agreement. Poor Vikings fans. But, I mean, it makes sense if you believe that they weren't a 13-win team. And I agree your point. They were an eight-win team that got worse. And I also think that the Bears and the Lions are improving, and I think the Packers aren't as bad as people think they will be without Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion. So I think the division is going to be tougher than it was last year. The, the thing with the Packers, that's one probably one of the few franchises in the league, not just the NFC North, you really can't count them out, can't write them off, it's especially because their front office is so good as it is that they'll they'll still hum well even if in their you know their least best season could be this and this record but they're but the you know the team is not in shambles so you're gonna we didn't cover the packers today directly but i appreciate that you're taking that moment to say all all sequel you're gonna bet on the packers because they're just a well-run organization and that's a big one I mean, they're a horror villain. They're like Mike Myers or Jason Voorhees. No matter how much uh, us Bears fans and Lions fans run through the uh, forest, we'll trip at one point and he'll just appear in front of us with a machete. So, the, so yeah, I mean, the Packers probably will win the division. That's <laughs> where so they play the games, right? Oh, yeah. But unfortunately, that means this game has to come to an end. Thank you again, Raymond, for joining us. You made this a lot of fun and Really, I thought, did a tremendous job with uh, bringing the knowledge and bringing the insight. So thank you there. Also, the we're going to continue to enjoy your music for a long time to come at the beginning and end of our episode. So thanks again for that. Thanks for having me tonight. It's a pleasure, Edmund. Thanks uh, for having fun. us and thanks for the music. My pleasure. Yep.
Continuing the thanks here on the Midwest Football Podcast. If you want to get in on the conversation, give us something to talk about over the next couple of weeks, please email the show at midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again to Chris Brandley for doing all of our logos. I already thanked Raymond, who normally comes in about this time with a thank you. But it is time to take it into the locker room for the fifth quarter. So until we see you next week for our final two in-depth deep dive coverages that's for the bears and the browns coming into the hall of fame game we will see you later don't forget to subscribe and give us five stars and i miss you already